There's Lemieux. The center penalty coming up. Look at Lemieux. Hello, hockey fans. How are you doing today? It's Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show. This is Season 4, Episode 10. You're listening to us on UMFM 101.5 in Winnipeg or as a podcast, uh, wherever that may find you. Perhaps you're driving, perhaps you're, you know, sitting on the couch enjoying a hot cup of coffee and uh, maybe you're uh, in the locker room getting ready to rumble. But any, either way... Uh, Welcome to Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show. I am co-host Tom. I've got with me, as always, co-host Randy. And looks like he's got some fresh new laces for his skates. What are those wax laces, Randy? Holy funny story! I actually did buy new laces the other day. There you have did, it. Did you see me at Royal Sports on? Oh yeah, you know, I got my eyes Highway. That's right. That's right. <laughs> or whatever the number is. No, I, I, you know, I did. Here's here's a couple, here's a couple little tips for for the kids and. The beer leaguers out there. Uh, yeah, I buy wax laces. Uh, I just find that they hold their tightness uh, better. Um, number two, uh, if you look at like the skate laces uh, and like the little chart that's on the package about like what length of lace you should have for your skate, yeah, I always buy the one smaller. Oh, do you? Because I want less bunny ears. I want smaller bunny ears on my laces. Right, right. Uh, but nothing, and, nothing worse than trying to like tie off a, a lace. No, it's not that short. short though. But like, I find when it's too long, cause also with my current skates, I don't do this, but I used to not go all the way to the top loop to the oh, top. Okay. So, and then that's where that came from. And number three, there's that new, I don't know how new it is, but there's that different way of tying your skates where you l- use the top two. If you loop through on the tops on the same side, the top two, it's, we'll have to do an Instagram video on this sometime, but yeah. it, it really helps with keeping your foot back and, and tight instead of like uh, having to tape your ankles with all that sock tape or whatever. But anyways, right. always buy the skate lace. That's the one smaller one than they, su- than they suggest. Okay. I'll uh, take that into note. Next time I grab some laces, I, I have a, a relatively fresh pair of laces on my skates, waxed laces. Of course I, I'm like you. I I just find that they hold better. Um, the the non waxed ones. I don't know. They're I might as well just put a, a shoelace in there. I guess. But um, and I go with black. Uh, not always. But are you a black black lace or white lace or are you more of a Alex Ovechkin yellow lace? Or? No, no. I I could never do that. I'm I'm <laughs> like, you know, I I'm not flashy. Uh, yeah. I just like the simple. You know, keep yeah. it simple. White laces. Um, I'd prefer if they had the little the black little specks. The speckles on them, yeah. But these ones are blue. Um, the other thing too, actually, it's like I'm rocking Dmitry Kulikov skates here still from from a couple years ago, and so these would still be the laces that 
uh, DK was using. So I'm finally going to yes. retire them. Maybe I'll, set, I'm I'll put them in a little envelope and send them to the Hockey Hall of Fame. We'll see yeah, or or a shadow box. <laughs> put them in your office there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah then, take it to Joe Daly and get it shadow boxed for, you know, a bunch of cash and have it up on yeah. my wall. I bet you Dimitri would sign them for you. Yeah. You know, well, he's just down in Minnesota. Note. We could take a road trip down there and uh, yeah. get them signed. And uh, he'd be like, why, why did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like Cooley. And he's having a pretty good year with Minnesota. And Minnesota's having a good year. Um, they are, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, let's, uh, let's, let's get into, so we're calling this one season four, episode 10, The Lafleur. Uh, Guy Lafleur, the flower. Um, he was obviously a very iconic number 10 playing for the Montreal Canadiens primarily. Of course he did retire, then came back, suited up a season with the New York Rangers at age 37. And then, uh, then he went to the cross provincial rivals of the Montreal Canadiens, the Quebec Nordiques played two seasons there before hanging them up for good. Um, but we we kind of haven't really gone back as far as the seventies uh, to, to name a episode after a player from that era. We usually stick to the eighties or nineties as that's kind of more our wheelhouse. Um, but Guy Lafleur did kind of span both the seventies and eighties. Um, but definitely his best hockey was in the seventies. So, you know, kind of before my time, before your time, but, his legend, no less, was it was he had, you know, a legend about him. Um, you know, I'm sure your dad probably would have watched him play and would have had some some thoughts about the flower. Right. Like, oh, for sure. And I would say he's he's a, like a good example of a player that kind of bridges the like from the era that we watched to like mm-hmm. the era that our dads watched, you know, like. Not not like because our dads would have been you know in, into hockey like earlier than 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 Lafleur, but yeah, if you think about the Canadians in the seventies, that that was like a a dynasty era for them. Oh, yeah, and yeah. then and but that was before our time. But you know, like we were, I guess Islanders dynasty is you know a little early for us. Right, um, it was Vegas, more of the Oilers. It? Yeah, we, Oilers yeah. and stuff like that. But um you know, when you watch the Oilers dynasty, you always knew about Montreal Canadiens dynasty. And, but, and then this guy was one guy from that team and we were still seeing him play for Quebec and the Rangers there in the late eighties, early nineties. So I feel like he's, he's like the, what are they like the gateway drug player <laughs> <laughs> to, to yeah. uh, eras of uh, previous, uh, you know, of dynasties. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and because like, you know, when we were kids collecting cards like the Opeachy, you know, 1989 or 1990 Upper Decks or whatever, Guy Lafleur would have had some cards in there uh, dressed as a, either a Nordique or a Ranger. And I definitely have one or two of those in my collection. So it was kind of like, yeah, for me, he was definitely like a player that I knew as an active player. And also he was one of the few guys at that time left without a helmet, right? That's right, They're, yeah. It was kind of the the end of an era there for the the helmetless guys, and Guy Lafleur, of course, very noted for his flowing locks. Um, perhaps that's why he was so fast. He just had all that uh, nice weight too. Air to to like you know flow behind him wasn't weighed down by a helmet. 
Um, Actually, your, your mention of hockey cards there, and we've talked about this show, on the show before, uh, I have a vague memory of like a Gila Fleur card from the Esso cards and mm, book. It seems like yeah. that would be there. There'd be a Gila Fleur card in that set. Yeah. Like I, I can almost picture it right now. Yeah. And that would have been, you know, him as a hab because that Esso set was all like retro guys yeah. or whatever at that time. So that yeah. would have come out late eighties, early nineties. And it was all like players from the sixties and seventies and stuff. So Yeah. That probably was built to appeal to the dads of kids like us when they pull into Esso, get their gas, and they're like, they're like, oh, here's you know, uh, like Bobby Hull or whoever their favorites as a kid were, Gila Fleur, that kind of thing. So, yeah, number ten, Gila Fleur. So he had, um, let's just run down his stats real quick. Like uh, 17 years in the NHL, 14 of those spent with Montreal. Then he hung him up after the 84-85 season in which he only played 19 games. So um, probably uh, was suffering from some injury there, age 33. Called it a day. Then he came back in 88-89 uh, with the New York Rangers and then went to Quebec for two seasons. So 17 years total, 1,126 games, scored 1,353 points. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame. He was a uh, five-time Stanley Cup winner, three-time Art Ross Trophy winner, uh, three-time uh, Ted Lindsay Award winner, which is the best player as voted by other players, I think, is what that one is, two-time Hart Trophy winner. He was a sixty uh, six-time NHL All-Star, uh, and he won the Conn Smythe Trophy in 76-77. So, Guy, pretty well decorated, I, I would say. 76-77 um, was also the year he had a career high in points with 136 points in 80 games. Uh, he had 56 goals that year, 80 assists. His career high in goals was actually the following season. He scored 60 goals, uh, had a few less assists, though, and finished with 132 points. So, he had a run of seasons there between 74, 75 and 79, 80, where he had, you know, I was going to say 120 plus points, but in that 74, 75 is 119 points. So, you know, he's 120 plus points more or less for, you know, what is that five, six seasons in a row there. So not too shabby. Um, and then he performed, uh, you know, pretty well over a point a game for most of his career. Um, I think some injuries kind of got, got the better of him uh, later in his Habs career, which is, you know, slowed him down as big, big part of his game is speed for sure. So um, yeah, Guy Lafleur, definitely a beauty. Uh, these days we know Guy is, uh, he's battling lung cancer. Um, so probably, not a great uh, outcome with, with lung cancer as we uh, know, but he's, uh, he's involved, you know, he makes appearances at the Habs games when he's uh, able to and stuff. So um, yeah, it's a, uh, he's a, he's a legend. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and I'm he, just lo looking through, uh, looking through his stats here on, on at our friends with hockeydb.com. Something yeah. that we don't really mention too much on the show, but looking back on his 76-77 season, 
uh, Mr. Lafleur was a plus eighty nine, so uh, oh, wow. obviously he did quite well that year. <laughs> yeah, plus eighty nine. Yeah, that's something, eh? That's huge. Um, do guys guys don't get like? I mean, you look at Connor McDavid, who is like the leading scorer these days. Uh, whether or not he is at this exact moment, I don't know because the Oilers suck so bad. But um, you know, he he's never like a plus. You know, he scores 120 points a season, but he's he's like a minus five or whatever. Like, well, I'll quickly look here. Who's leading the league right now in plus minus? Devon Taves from Colorado Avalanche, plus 33. Uh, Ryan Hartman, the defense, plus 31. Ekblad, plus 28. Duclair, plus 27. Justin Falk, plus 23. And now let's yeah. go to the other way. Jacob Chikrin, th- plus minus 31. Keith minus Yandel, 30. minus 22. Nick Letty, yeah. minus 21. So defensemen either lead in good or lead in bad plus minus. Um, and they always say nowadays plus minus is an antiquated stat, but I'll tell you, I love it. It's one quick glance and you can, I mean, it, it's not so much a personal stat often as it is a team stat. It's like, yeah, you yeah. Know, well, I you, remember you look at Jacob Tricker and be like, yeah, your team sucks. You're not bad, but yeah. your team sucks. Yeah. You're just on the ice a lot. <laughs> he, Jacob comes off and he's like, well, I had my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just remember like when I was playing, uh, you know, Bantam uh, and, and uh, high school hockey, we had like stats being kept like that for our teams. And I remember like goals and assists were, you know, big, but it was also like, the team thing was plus minus and you didn't want that minus like nope. you didn't want to be that guy with the minus or whatever so it was a little funny thing like you know you're chirping each other it's like going for a change like right before the other team scores or something yeah like be like oh it's yeah, not yeah, my yeah. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> hey i still uh to this day i still you know i'll say that to a guy coming off the ice uh if i'm on the bench and then they score and be like well at least you didn't get the minus yeah, <laughs> something exactly. like that so but uh, yeah, so on today's show, we've got coming up in just a little bit here, we've got an interview with uh, Danny Schur. He's a Winnipeg-based uh, compo- music composer, songwriter, filmmaker, uh, jack of all trades in the entertainment business, as, as it were, um, noted for his 2019 film, I think it came out, uh, should I look that up? Uh, but it's called Stand, and it's a musical, and it's about uh, the Winnipeg general strike. You know, in general terms, it's about that, right? It's set at that time. Um, and uh, so Danny will be joining us in just a little bit. He's um, he's a beer league goalie, a uh, big-time goalie, and I actually I play with him, and that's how uh, I know him. And um, so... We'll be talking to him very shortly, but before we get to that, uh, before we get to our talk with Danny, Randy, I want to ask you about outdoor hockey, and we don't have a ton of time here to talk about it, but, you know, with the whole way the COVID situation in the world is going, a certain event near and dear to your heart had to be canceled, and uh, we haven't really talked about it much on the show, but but, but you're involved in uh, outdoor hockey club and the the um, the the tournament. The, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, 
climate and sport initiative uh, and also is. save pond hockey was uh it's kind save. of an idea based off of the same save pond hockey initiative yeah right so you were gonna you you had organized this amazing tournament that was going to be coming up here in february but uh of course with the way the world sort of has gone and just trying to organize things events and whatnot it's uh it's been difficult so it's been postponed for now but um I guess, yeah, like maybe in, in a minute or two, do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of a rundown on what that's all about? And we'll put it in their minds so that going forward, it's out there, we know, and then we can, you know, when, uh, when it comes time to get this thing going, we can, you know, get her going, <laughs> get her going. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, basically the climate and sport initiative is an organization that uses sport as the vehicle to kind of open up uh, climate change and, and climate action discussions. So uh, this was an organization that was uh, recently started in Canada, but it was inspired by Save Pond Hockey, which is this group uh, of uh, individuals from Finland that kind of, uh, in a similar fashion, use hockey events uh, to raise money for, for climate-based projects and initiatives. Um, all that being said, uh, yeah, like we were, we were all ready to host a outdoor hockey event at Kinsman Lake in Stonewall. We had, uh, we probably would have hit probably about 50 or 60 teams registered. So it was going to be a pretty big, uh, mm. pretty big banger. Um, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, due to this COVID situation, we have to, um, reschedule or postpone, uh, all those, the, the plan is being worked on as part of potentially what, <clears throat> what could happen, whether it's, uh, something later this winter or early or, uh, push to next year that yeah. is still TBD, but, um, but yeah, no, mainly just, um, shining some light on the outdoor aspect of hockey. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else like it. Uh, you play outdoors. Um, it, takes you back to your childhood it's very uh, nostalgic uh and great and more people should do it yeah so for our listeners follow uh at outdoor hockey club that's randy's uh outdoor hockey initiative there now before we get to our interview with danny here let's toss to a song this song is uh by pup a great canadian punk rock band this is a song called uh, robot writes a love song and it's their brand new single off their upcoming album which was recorded in connecticut uh right beside uh our buddy dave zamboni's place so dave was in on the ground floor with this one but yeah here's pup with their tune robot writes a love song rolling out the door I backed up your memory before they came for you the monitor was blue but your dad is all stored and when they come back with your new body I'll load you into the new machine again bring you back
Okay, thank you, Danny, for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. And uh, so, so Danny, we're, we want to know, you're, you're a goalie, obviously a beer league goalie. You play a lot High of hockey. High-level beer league goalie, thank you That's very much. That's right, yeah, elite uh, beer league. You play a lot of hockey. Um, when did it all kind of start for you? Have you, like, does it go way back to when you were a, a wee one? Like, uh, just, you know, did you, did you get put on skates at an early age, or how did it all begin? Not as old as, or not as young as some of the kids do these days. Like, you're considered a really bad parent if you don't have your kid on skates by three. There's this <laughs> picture of me at a boat. I was eight or nine. And you should see it. It is a piece of work because I had <laughs> every piece of old crap gear that you could possibly imagine from my brother, who's like 11 years older. I had a McLeod's Hiawatha helmet, which is basically plastic, about half a centimeter thick. And uh, yeah, so I started back in Ethelbert. I'm from a little town 300k north of here and um, it had the coldest rink on the planet. No artificial <laughs> ice, uh, just natural ice which got, is it stalagmites or stalactites that fell from the ceiling that had to be scraped off and I swear to god if it was minus 30 Outside, it was minus 40 inside. Leonard Juliak <laughs> cried from frozen feet more than you can manage. I, uh, and I was about <laughs> eight or nine when I started. And yeah. I played forward for like a couple of years till I discovered goalie. I haven't looked back since. So have you always, uh, like, did you, have you played right through from being a kid till now? Or did you, like a lot of us, Randy, myself included, you know, we didn't play during our twenties and that kind of thing. Um, picked it up again as adults, but uh, what about you? So on the day I graduated, I was like, "F hockey! I'm going to be a world <laughs> famous musician." Uh, and I sold my gear for two hundred dollars, all of it, to the local really good goalie, Glenn Coster was his name. And ten years to the day, I bought it back from him. For the same price. <laughs> and I I don't know where those 10 years went. I guess it was university. I guess it was starting my career. But somewhere near the end of those 10 years, I was like, am I out of my mind? Why am I not playing hockey? And since that day, so I was 28, I've played like just constantly. And now five yeah. times a week. I should be way better for the amount I play. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping back to the Ethelbert uh, scene there, Oh, were, were there were there any like who was your who were your rivals back then were you know like was there some epic you know uh, rivalries and, and matches like that went through the years there oh man so it wasn't just that it was hockey rivalry it was small town rivalry yeah. if you haven't lived in a small town you really can't explain to people how messed up it was like we were not just enemies of okay so i came from ethelbert the mortal enemy towns were winnipegosis about 20 miles to the east dolphin <laughs> gilbert plains grandview even as far out as robin and russell I actually was on the ice against flurry 
the score was 18 to one. And I swear to God, he got 16 of the goals. <laughs> <laughs> and so it wouldn't just be the 1970s and early 80s crazy, <clears throat> really violent hockey stuff. We continued it off the ice. So just as an example, we go public skating in Dauphin. And there is, uh, I forgot the guy's first name, Livingstone is his last name, either Daryl or Darren. If he's listening, he's going to let me down. <laughs> we just had this mortal hate on for Dauphin. So we're public skating and I skate by him in the opposite direction and spit in his face. <laughs> like, how stupid is that? I mean, he would have killed me if my friends hadn't peeled him off of me. So, yeah, it was pretty nuts. The hockey rivalry in those days was pretty legendary. Oh, and also St. Rose. Weird coincidence. I'm really good friends with Colin Legal, who used to play with uh, St. Rose, and I, I play with him often. But the small town hockey rivalries are just epic. That's yeah. awesome. We had a similar thing because I grew up in Stonewall, and so our, our rivals were Warren. And, the, no. you know, there was like fights in the stands and like just <laughs> yeah. this crazy stuff. One last question about Ethelbert. What were your jerseys like? Did you guys we, have like team we, uniforms? Yo, you bet. We were the Ethelbert Eagles. I can see it still. Get this. I designed the Eagle. Oh, uh, no. And it was not only the Eagle on our hockey jerseys, but then we transplanted it onto our, um, there was, two sets of hockey jackets that the whole team had one baby blue that was the ugliest thing ever and then we were like we got to do way better than this and then we got uh these cool jackets i still have in the closet here with black leather arms and gray melton the eagle did look kind of screwy in embroidery <laughs> but oh man good even if we sucked as a team at tournaments we it's all that good. matters. It's all that yeah, matters. Yeah. Right on. Look good, feel good, yeah. uh, play good. Eh, yeah. That's to be debated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta love those small town Canada rivalries, though. Like I grew up in a town similar size to Dauphin, and um, yeah, we had you know, Tadamagush was our like most hated rival. It seemed like we had some fierce games with those guys, but. Uh, <clears throat> yeah you, you, you want to talk about like bench clearing brawls and whatever <laughs> it's hilarious because then you grow up a little bit and you're like oh hey uh, you see them at the you know like around town or whatever yeah and what's it's, uh, it's funny is at that age your perceived vision of what the rivalry is so here's my screwed up thinking dauphin may be the most ukrainian canadian cultural town by population on the planet i mean they mm. have the national ukrainian festival for crying out loud but somehow in my head because of guys like livingston who had a english name in my head i was like the english live in <laughs> dauphin we must kill them you know <laughs> uh, it's hilarious um so so building on let's fast forward many years now just uh the mention of the ukrainian sort of aspect popped in mind so these days um you're playing hockey all the time 
you and you're pretty involved in the community and stuff as well as your professional work um but recently uh you hosted a ukrainian delegation who came to sort of you know learn about hockey or or build on their hockey whatever base that they're uh, doing in ukraine can you tell us a little bit about that and what uh what what all in, that entailed i can uh it's more correct to say that i organized event for the following organization i didn't host it as much okay uh, i was host for the day i guess so the organization that i got involved with recently not in a super official way i'm not on the board or anything but the head of the organization is from gilbert plains his <laughs> name is Vern Zatronitsky. He's like my brother's age, and his nickname is Zap. So <laughs> I've known Zap since he played hockey with my brother at the U of M. And Zap is a retired school teacher, having uh, worked in Winnipeg. He still has a house in Gilbert. And he created the Canadian Friends of Hockey in Ukraine. So the CF. H-U. It was a few years ago. And they started with a vision of, we'll give some used gear to players in Ukraine. And then it morphed into, hmm, we'll take the Babbage brothers there to do some workshops. And then lots of high level connections between Hockey Ukraine or the Ukraine uh, Hockey Federation and this organization. And they have so this organization has an annual golf fundraiser and a fundraiser in December. And most recently, about uh, eight of a delegation from the Hockey Federation of Ukraine came here. They're investigating many things, which they hope to have culminate in the Winter Olympics actually being in Ukraine in like, I don't know, 2032 something along that lines they're always looking for technical expertise for making arenas there's only 12 arenas in all of ukraine and they have like 60 million people uh but the love of hockey is so great i was also involved with a documentary called uke <laughs> about ukrainian canadians who've won the stanley cup and this was made by a dude from Ukraine whose name is Vladimir uh, Mula, M-U-L-A. I helped Vladimir find like Terry Sochik's house in Winnipeg, yeah. etc. And between that documentary and what's going on with this exchange with the CFHU, the connection between Ukraine and Winnipeg in particular for hockey is just massive. So they brought this contingent. They did like a week's worth of meetings with every organization you can imagine. Hockey Winnipeg, Hockey Manitoba, the mayor, you name it. And all they were doing were these meetings. And Vern said to me, you know, we should really organize a game for them because yeah. like, they all play. Why don't we have a game? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we have it at Billy Mosienko Arena? <laughs> yeah. And so on like a week's notice, Vern says to me, do you think you could organize that? He doesn't live in town. He's never booked an arena. And I said, well, I'll give it a shot. It was like a Tuesday and we have to do it on the Sunday. 
I call up Brian Honey at the city arena office and he's like, are you serious? You want to get an arena for this Sunday? Fat chance, but I'll take a look. So I hear click, 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 click on the keys. He's like, you won't believe it. We got <laughs> two arenas available. You can have either Sochik or Mosey. <laughs> so, yeah, both perfect right options, really. Yeah. <laughs> There's a new book by Mosienko, and that writer did a little presentation to the group from Ukraine. So I thought, this is perfect. That's well, a we friend of the show, friend of the show, Ty Delello. We, we've you, had yeah. him on. And, and yeah. so I took some guys from my Friday night hockey and my son, and we played against this contingent of Ukrainians. Now, let's just say who the contingent was. This is not like your average bureaucrats at Hockey Ukraine. The president was a really good player, George. He didn't play in the NHL, but he was unbelievable on the ice. The goalie was, uh, and his name is Konstantin Simchuk. Uh, he played oh. national oh. team goalie until like seven years ago. So no slouch. Um, and then, uh, just for some added fun, there was, uh, you're going to have to remind me of his name because I'm blanking on it, Christich. Dimitri? Dimitri? Christich. This yeah. guy is a bridge. Like, he is <laughs> big. He played until, like, 2013, and he was giving me the, oh, I've played for a long time, blah, blah, blah. Holy crap. From Still has the blue it. Line, from the blue line, a little wrister just about blew my blocker off. He was going <laughs> top, top blocker all the time. I got him every time, though. Uh, <laughs> the national team coach, Vadim, this guy, he was defending the honor of Ukraine. And he must have had like six breakaways. And then as if they needed more talent, we gave them Morris Lukovic as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Babich was supposed to play, but he got hurt in a tournament that I was actually playing on his team a couple of days before. Anyway, it was the most fun I've had in a hockey. We tied at 3-3. And Tom, you know what it's like? I said to them, listen, we'll play games of five. We'll probably have like three games of five. Usually yeah. an hour, you have three games of five. Well, the action was so tight, end to end, <laughs> it ended in a 3-3 tie. It was just incredible. And like you're playing for the Stanley Cup. <laughs> exactly. They all exclaimed that this was the best experience they had in, in Winnipeg. Um, my brother, who doesn't play anymore, but who watched, this was like a golden experience for him because he got to see me, he got to see my son, and his son played. So all the generations were there. Nice. Ukrainian loving. It was just historic. That's pretty awesome. Mentioning Ukrainian hockey players, Ukrainian Canadian and, and pros or, or not. Um, you mentioned Sachuk and Moisienko. I, I won't put you on the spot as like, who's the best of all time, but maybe <laughs> who, who, who would you say, like who else is on that list? Who are some other Ukrainian Canadian hockey players that, uh, you know, we might not realize that they're... Uh, oh, so Ukrainian here's voice. the thing. Like, I'm Mr. Ukrainian. I was born in Ethelbert. I went to the Dauphin Ukrainian Festival. As far as I knew, and I think as 
anyone knew until I saw the documentary Uke, I presumed Wayne Gretzky was Polish. He never talked about being Ukrainian. Well, we call it being a born again Uke because <laughs> in the documentary, he says, no, my mom was born in the territory that was Poland at the time, but she's Ukrainian. Oh, His wow. dad, who had a stroke after he had a stroke, only spoke Ukrainian. So Wayne absolutely huh. identifies as Ukrainian Canadian. Wow. Um, and yeah, I had always kind of thought it was Polish Canadian. Exactly. I'd heard dad a long yeah. time ago. And, and here's what's weird Gretzky, as spelt out, is a poor transliteration of the way it's really pronounced. I don't want to butcher it right now, but in the doc, he states that it's actually three syllables. And I can't remember the pronunciation, but sort of Gretzky. Uh, so it's more Ukrainian sounding in its correct pronunciation. Mm. So there's him, but I mean, there's just, there's countless others. I actually encourage your listeners to go on Apple where you can watch the doc called Uke, U-K-E. I'm going to watch that tonight. Yeah, it lists <laughs> all these guys. And That's guys, awesome. I didn't even know, like the guy from Florida most recently, uh, Fedotenko. Oh, yeah. I just presumed he was Russian. Super you like back in Ukraine, he's a hero. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he was Russian too. Yeah. yeah so yeah. there's a lot of obviously like Ukrainian Canadians because the prairies is just like, uh, you oh, know, historically cool. that's where they a lot of Ukrainians came and settled. But for actual players from the Ukraine and all 12 rinks that they have in the country, like, is there, do you know off the top of your head, is there many in the NHL? Like Ruslan Fedotenko, we just mentioned, I guess, but. Very um, few, actually, very few. In fact, statistically, it's a miracle that Hristich and Fedotenko made the NHL. I don't know how they did it, how they, well, I mean, obviously they came through the Canadian junior system. That's the way it happens. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's very rare to be a Ukrainian from Ukraine hockey player mm -hmm. in the NHL. And and how about like now like uh, like are you like you you're you're playing hockey you said five nights a week or whatever and you got your regular crew on Fridays with Tom and the boys, uh, you know is there time uh, for you to watch hockey or follow hockey what like what's 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 that like for you? For sure, I mean, uh, less so than in the past. Um, given the choice, I will always play versus watch. But now my son's 18. And in addition to the greatest thing ever, which is to play hockey with him, he will come to me and say, hey, you want to check the Jets game out? And I'm actually, it's like my quality time with my son. So we love doing that. That said, um, I haven't watched a lot this year. Because I, I just got this bad feeling the Jets are not making the playoffs and I'm not investing any time. <laughs> so call me a shitty fan, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, I hear So you. I pay attention. Like, I mean, I always check the highlights. My buddy Cal, who's a fellow film producer, consultant, 
he and I will jokingly leave voicemails as follows. It's Danny Sure calling for Cal Harrison for the Winnipeg Jets update. What's your prediction for tonight? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> so we're always on top of it. Uh, and I'm at Source for Sports more than any human in Winnipeg. They You're on, a, on a first name basis with the staff very much because I'm kind of a picky goalie blade sharpening crazy man. Yeah. Well, goalies, as we know, are, are particular about a lot of things gear, probably first and foremost. Um, are you as a goalie, um, <clears throat> like, are you particular or superstitious about any parts of your gear? I mean, you mentioned the way your skates are sharpened, but like any other, like with your pads, do you got to do them up a certain way? Do you have to have a certain I, I'm not brand? Or... And in fact, when you play so much, during COVID, what I've been doing is coming to the rink as late as humanly possible. I come 12 minutes before I can get dressed super fast. I got the warrior pads with the three Velcro system. I can put them on in 20 seconds flat. So I'm not superstitious at all. I'm just always looking for that feeling that I had on my blades, on my goalie skates back in Ethelbert. I can't seem to find that with the current <laughs> new skates and blades now the blades are three millimeters wide so i had a special uh step up piece of steel which is three millimeters at the holder flaring out to four like the old blades but it just does not feel right so i'm in the perennial pursuit of the perfect blade feeling <laughs> are you a gear collector do you do you stockpile gear? No, but I had this given me. Hang on one second. When I made my documentary about Sawchuk. Oh wow. Oh, that's that. neat. In fact, on our street, a guy named Brad is a goalie mask, a replica goalie mask maker. So mm -hmm. this is not a Terry Sawchuk actually worn thing, but right. it's replica as close as it gets this is probably my only collector's item really can no, you imagine stepping into a game wearing that yeah. well, I mean, so it's better than nothing i suppose but like when i did the research so you can see the fiberglass on the non-polished side mm. that's fiberglass the same as like pink you put yeah. that against your face yeah. and it's just going to be lacerated so that's yeah. why they put vaseline or pond oh. cold cream and then the plastic but it would just be incomprehensible how much it would hurt taking the yeah. puck directly on this yeah yeah <sighs> it would be good for i guess like sticks when you're when there's a scramble in the crease or something maybe about more all. so than uh, maybe uh, someone's shot. ass in your nose but that's <laughs> yeah <it. laughs> Yeah. Oh man. That's how, it's so how, crazy. How about all time, like favorite goalies? Like, are, are you a goalie fan? Like, and is there like any goalies out there where you've kind of like stolen some style or, or like a, you know, like a, a trademark move, like whether it's Hasek or, or someone like that and any, any like kind of connections to that? Yes. I'm a goalie history fan. My number one guy, Ken Dryden. 
because uh, that's the era that I grew up. Like I saw every one of the cups that he won. But for me, what he symbolizes is not just a good goalie, but a cerebral goalie. Mm. I mean, the guy was uh, a book writer, a senator. Um, it's just, you know, I aspire to be that kind of human, never mind goalie. Um, and I mean, I have a Ukrainian-Canadian soft spot for Sochik because although no one cares, no one remembers that before Bradur, he had the shutout record when shutouts really, really counted and were hard to get mm -hmm. uh, before the big equipment era. So uh, those two are kind of high on my list. But over the years, there's all of the ones that were cool at some point influenced me somehow. Like, I mean, who didn't like Patrick Roy um, and all those guys from the 70s and stuff. I'll tell you right now, I'm not a Hellebuck fan. I'm a Carey Price fan. As Tom will tell you, I <laughs> wear a Montreal jersey in hockey. Backstory to that, I had a Winnipeg jersey and a Montreal one. Manufactured at the same place, bought the same day. The Winnipeg one just deteriorated in two weeks. And in five <laughs> years, the Montreal one doesn't want to get wrecked. But in truth, in homage to Ken Dryden and Carey Price, whom I met, those really are my heroes. Yeah. And uh, Hellebuck just ain't doing it for me. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the way Hellebuck plays, I, I he's not like a, a, a quote unquote exciting goalie. You know, he's he's big. He gets in the way and he makes the saves, but he's not like overly athletic like a Tim Thomas was or something like that. And um, my problem is that for as big and as Vesna winning as he is, his percentage of shitty goals is Friday night high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like should have had that one well and that's that's i mean i don't know that he's having the best year uh this year because there's been and the jets in general kind of aren't having the best yeah. year but you know and that's they, not to shit on him i just think there are a lot better goalies out there than him and i, I just mm -hmm. kind of lost mm -hmm. yeah i think the problem i mean if we uh, let's not try and go on too much of a jet jets tangent here but like um, the problem is that they don't really have a backup goalie to push him this year. Yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. so he's he's getting all the starts. Yeah. And, well, and they got no the Birdman. The Birdman. I'd like to see the Birdman play every yeah. once in a while here, but I don't know if that's yeah, Michael happen. Burdan, he's kind of uh, an intriguing character for sure. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that all kind of plays out because, you know, Comrie has played okay for what the starts he's gotten, but he, I, I haven't seen him in action in, it feels like months, but well, he no. had COVID. Yeah. And yeah. the jets have only played like six games in the last month. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess that all plays into it, but Danny, so aside from, uh, Oh, sorry. Oh. I just want to go what, with about gear. You just were mentioning like the whole big gear era where, you know, goalies were wearing extra baggy jerseys and, and yeah. all that stuff. But it, it just kind of like, uh, I'd, I'd like to hear more about like the gear that you would have worn as a goalie in Ethelbert, like, Oh Jesus! And it like, and, and yeah. where did you get that kind of gear from? Because it's not like 
there was a source for sports in Venla or anything like that. So no, but in Dauphin, there was Black's uh, cycle. And that was my idea of heaven. Going to Dauphin, <laughs> which was uh, 30 miles away, 50K, every Wednesday for my music lesson. And our religion was just before going for supper on the street that Black's cycle was, stop at Black's, just whip in for 10 minutes to just look at the goalie yeah. equipment. Yeah. And it was GP uh, 95 triple XL, like Ken Dryden wore. Those are about two grand at, at the time. Wow. Um, but the upper body protector, it was the same that Sochik would wear, which was essentially thick felt, about a centimeter thick, with like a poofy uh, quilted fabric, kind of like a freaking winter parka. Yeah. The bruises that you get on your arms and just past the stomach towards the ribs, it was just incredible. So all these stories about Sochik coming back to Winnipeg in the summer, just purple and green. Yeah. Believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the pads, um, just like leather, like the Brett classic brown leather pads. Is that? Uh, yep. They had either horse hair or deer hair. I'm not absolutely yeah. sure. And when they got wet, they increased in weight by like three times <laughs> and decreased in ability to make the puck not dent your shins by a factor of like five is just crazy and um the invention of the plastic foam pads like we have now caused those pads to go from two thousand bucks to one time i walked into royal sports when they had the warehouse on higgins downstairs there's like 50 pair of gp 95 xl brand new off of some semi-trailer 99 bucks and it <laughs> took everything i had not to buy like five of them because i was like these are gold but yeah they were just just for like street hockey now wow. yeah yeah That's they'd be awesome. fun for you hitting the outdoor rink or the yeah. street hockey or whatever yeah they're just so heavy like my current pads weigh about four times as much as a cigarette carton and <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so Danny, one thing that we do on our show is we often we mix music and hockey in some some sort of way or another. We've got a, a running playlist of songs that are either about hockey or maybe maybe they're locker room jams that would get you pumped up or something when you're tying your skates or or maybe it's something you'd hear in the rink. And in the past, we've had music by some of our guests that we've had on as well. Um uh, you to put you on the spot do you have any uh, a song that comes to mind that really either speaks you know speaks hockey to you uh oh, man. either either something that's out there or one of your own whatever i could give you like a dozen but, but yeah. they're all circa 1982 oh, that's fine. arena uh hockey that's uh, fine. locker room and coincidentally now my kids come to me and say have you ever heard this song? Is it ever cool? And I'm like, yeah, lost. This is like Harlequin, Innocence. Oh, yeah. But the quintessential Ethelbert Eagles hockey locker room song, Lover Boy, The Kid Is Hot Tonight. 
Thanks for joining us, Danny. And remember, keep your stick on the ice. Tune in next week to Talkin' Hockey, the Hockey Talkin' Show. We'll be back with another great episode. But before we go, here's Loverboy with The Kid Is Hot Tonight. We just go.